What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Hey, Nathan, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm sick and tired of off-roaders that cost over... Seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars. Oh, even over forty or fifty thousand dollars. To be honest with you, well, let's face it, uh, it's gotten completely out of hand. It has, and it's an unfortunate thing. I know a lot of you guys write us and tell us, you know, your frustrations about this, and that goes with pickup trucks as well, of course. And the bottom line is that right now prices are just unobtainable for most human beings. Yeah, I mean, a top level uh, off roader like a Bronco. Um, Raptor. Raptor. That's going to cost you if you can get one ninety thousand. Yeah, on, on the second hand market, probably more like ten or twenty over sticker. Yeah, because they're going to mark it up. Yeah. Now Jeep does the three ninety two, same problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and um, Ineos just uh, unveiled their pricing for the Grenadier today, yep. uh, and that starts at seventy one. Yeah, seventy one thousand dollars. And you know, think, Def- Defender, same problem. Oh, Defender, um, you know, the obviously the Lexus GX and LX, they're, they're, they're remarkably expensive vehicles if you want to go off road. So the question, of course, is how do you do this? Being a real human being that actually makes a regular living, and you're not living like oh I don't know Musk or someone like that. You don't have ridiculous amounts of money just hey, laying wait, around. Wait, I have an idea. Huh. I have a really good. I forgot about a very affordable off roader. Okay, the G wagon. Wow, you're so right about that. Sorry, guys. Roman has been taking his pills and a lot of extra cough medicine. Look, all I'm saying, Nathan, is first of all, if you're going to go off-road, uh, chances are you want something used, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. Because you're going to scratch it up. Yes. You're going to dent it up. You're going to do bad things to it. So why would you buy a uh, ninety dollars or $110,000 vehicle to take off-road? The only reason to do that is either you're so rich you don't care about money mm. or you're flexing. Okay. You're showing off. Yep, yeah, I would agree. And in most cases, most people who buy extremely expensive off-road vehicles do not take them off-road. Look at the Bentley Bentayga. How many of those do you think are actually going on safari? Not many. Same with the Rolls-Royce, whatever they call it. A Cullinan. Cullinan. Exactly. Or the Lamborghini Urus. I mean, they're not really going off-road. Yeah, every once in a while, some guy's like, you know, hey, I want to actually take one off-road and have fun. If I were rich, I would be that guy. Just because I could, and I would like to try them and actually sample what they were given. So, so in this video, we're going to be talking about like actually affordable off-roaders, and we're going to go through and we're going to kind of do. I'm, I'm going to say top ten, but it might be top eight, might be top twelve. We're just going to kind of wing it and come up with the best off-roaders that you can go for on a budget. But before we do that, let's start with uh, an affordable new off-roader, which is actually gettable, sort of, kind of, and that is of course the Base Bronco Sport or Willys Edition. Willie's edition Jeep, yeah. he means, for yeah. those of you yes. who are listening. Yeah. What did I say? You said Bronco Sport? I you said Bronco Sport. Uh, yeah, which is I, was, not, I was getting ahead of myself because yeah, that's my next. Not, I wouldn't put that in that list anyway. Um, I would say that the, the Jeep Willie's, actually the, the Jeep Sport, the, the Jeep, Jeep Sport, Wrangler yeah. Sport, Sport base model. How much does it start at? They started around $32,000. So $32,000, you get a very capable, because even if you don't have lockers, Disconnectable sway Has bar. Has anti-spin rear end. Right. It, 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 it'll, it'll take you into more places than you'll want to go without clenching your butt severely. Right. And then you have a little bit left over if you, you know, if you save to put on some cool tires or change the suspension, whatever you need to do. The thing is, is that, yes, you have open diffs, essentially, 
But the bottom line is that you have a vehicle that has incredible approach departure angles, great breakover, very good size for off-roading. It's relatively light. Yes, it has the old Pentastar V6, and yes, it could have a manual transmission. Those are not bad things, because that Pentastar actually is pretty damn torquey. You know, there's that four-liter, um, the Jeep built, the straight six, that is now legendary for its reliability. I think give it 10, 15, 20 years, I think the Pentastar is going to be the same way. Well, I mean, that's one of the solid things about Jeep's recent past, uh, or even Chrysler, Stellantis, whatever you want to say, is that the Pentastar actually has a pretty good reputation. Yeah, I think it's actually going to be one of those engines that people are going to be looking It's won some awards. Yeah, it's going to be looking back to and saying, wow, that was super reliable. Yeah. Uh, now, the other thing about the, the base Wrangler, of course, is that you're not going to get air conditioning. <laughs> you're not going to get like power like windows. Power windows. Yeah. <laughs> unless you pay for them. Uh, so you really are looking at a, at a basic stripped down off-roader. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, you can take the doors off. Mm -hmm. It's a convertible, yep. so you can take the top off. So maybe air conditioning isn't such a huge problem. Uh, but in this video, I want to talk about cars that will come in less than that, right? So under $30,000. And this is why I said Bronco Sport, because actually, for, you know, there, there is, of course, the base Bronco as well. But Broncos are, once again, unobtainium. Yeah, you, good luck you, with that. You're going to wait forever. At least the Wranglers we know are on lots yes, in some places. Yes, you can and actually buy Wranglers. Yeah, in some cases. Yeah, um, most likely. Uh, you know, the Bronco is going to have to be ordered. You're going to have to wait for it. So we want to we want to um, scratch that itch immediately. We do. And there's actually quite a few used vehicles exactly. that we both have reviewed. And we have different tiers, different levels in terms of their 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 price, going all the way up to, say, about twenty five grand, and all the way down to about $3,000 because I've researched them. Why? Because I recently had to buy a vehicle myself. We'll talk about that at the end. Yeah. We'll get that story. But before we go into this list... Um, Let's uh, pass along some very sad news, and that's personally sad for me as well. Mm. We, we just found out that uh, head of design for, you know, Jeep, uh, a 30-year veteran of Jeep, uh, Mark Allen, good friend of yours, good friend of mine, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. has uh, uh, left the company, retired as of today. You know, this one time, Mark Allen saw me collapse and picked me up and brought me up Hell's Revenge on his shoulder. <laughs> no, he didn't. I'm just the, making stuff up. No, but but my point is is that we're not. He's not dead. You know, and, and that's the thing is that we're not we're not trying to revere someone who's actually like up and collapsed and is no, gone. No, no, but he, he's he, retired he, he was from a, he Jeep. Was, he was a great steward of the brand. He was. Right? He, he held the brand DNA in his very uh, caring grip and made sure that no matter and think about now Stellantis. Think about the number of owners that Jeep has had in mm. the last twenty years, right? So before it was Stellantis, it was Fiat. Mm -hmm. And then uh, before, Daimler. Before it was Daimler. Before that, it was Cybrus. And during and all those service, and service yeah. your service, my Cybrus. Well, Cer Cerberus was like a week. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> they were. It was an investment. Th that was after Daimler and before Fiat. But but all of those owners, and that includes Peugeot, right? Basically, used Jeep as a piggy bank. So the, the mm -hmm. brand was incredibly profitable. And this is the sad part. What they would do is they would, in essence, sell Jeeps, which are built in Ohio, American, and then they would use that to help prop up like failing Fiat sales in Italy. Yeah, or it's Alpha true. sales. Or Alpha or, sales, or, yeah. or pick, you know, pick Dodge the, sales too. Not, yeah, pick the brand. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and, and that was money that should have, if you were thinking about it, should have gone back into the brand. And what it did was uh, it made, you know, Jeep, uh, and especially the Wrangler, the goose that laid the golden egg, mm -hmm. which they plundered. Uh, and, you know, highly successful. They sell 250,000 ish Wranglers every year, mm -hmm. or close to it, which is incredible for what it is. But now, of course, Ford is knocking at the door with the Bronco. And there's going to be other competitors coming soon. And, and let's face it, the latest and greatest, which I'm going to go drive very soon, uh, incarnation of the Jeep Wrangler, has not really addressed all of the gunpowder that Ford has brought with the Bronco, right? So what they did was they gave it a bigger screen for the 2024. Mm -hmm. uh, they gave it power seats. Yeah, kind of a new nose-ish. And they gave it a new grill. Yeah. That's not enough, Nathan. No, I agree 100%. Um, and Mark, Mark, Mark did his best to make sure that that brand, you know, not only uh, was uh, true, or at least the Wrangler was true to its DNA, right? It's original because mm. it, it is the original off-roader. Goes, you know, it goes farther back than the Land Rover Defender. Yeah, I mean, you could trace and its it, history yeah. all the way back to World War II. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the oldest off-roader brand. Full stop. 
Yes, and then on top of that, and Mark um, made sure that it, it stayed true. That's to that. exactly it. He fought for the brand, and then on that's top why of I'm that, sad. he one of his favorite vehicles was. Do you know which uh, Jeep was his favorite? I do. Uh, he loved the TJ. Uh, he liked the CJ5. You like the CJ5? The CJ5, he liked it from a design standpoint. He loved the way the, the fender was, the you shape of it. The flat fender Jeep? Well, it was, it was sort of a curved one. It went yeah. from the flat to the curved, and that's what he liked. I thought he was a big TJ guy. Anyway, it doesn't well, matter. No, no, I, I remember the speech. And on top of that, he taught me a lot, and you, a lot about Jeeps in general, off-roading in general. For instance, before I met Mark, and I met Mark about uh, close to 15 years ago, I think the very first time, um, He, I had no idea really how important weight was off-roading, right? Slapping on armor and everything was such a big deal, and m many people still do it. They'll make a Wrangler weigh 6,000 pounds. <laughs> At least, and, yeah. I mean, but seriously. And, and Marcus is like, no, you don't do that. And a really good chunk of evidence with that was the fact that he built, amongst many, many, many other things that he oversaw, uh, Stitch. Remember yeah, Stitch? Lightweight. Stitch was a super, super lightweight Wrangler. I mean, he actually used film that's used on aircraft uh, wing coverings and whatnot and little bits of plastic these, in order these to... Are, these are prototypes. Well, they're prototypes, exactly. But there's a point, and he's kind of establishing a point. This thing was a hot rod. Even though it didn't have a modified engine, when you took off all of that weight and he eliminated close like like eight, 900 pounds from this thing, suddenly it was practically doing wheelies off-road. It was so quick. And it, ad, it really, you know, illustrated to me, hey, if you take weight off a Jeep as opposed to adding it to it, then you actually have a much more capable off-roader, gets better mileage, da-da-da-da-da. And he was the first one. And it's like, normally, if some guy from the street mentioned that, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. This is the dude who ran Jeep design. I'm going to listen to him. What was the one, the military truck that he built? Oh, he loved the new Kaiser. The new Kaiser. Oh, oh yeah, he, he adored yeah. that. Not only that, but he yeah. even said at his retirement, that's the one I would take with me if they let me take it. Yeah, yeah. He also leaned into Jeep's military background, which is fair, right? Because mm -hmm. this started with a military vehicle. So the new Kaiser, of course, we got to drive. Yeah. Uh, was uh, We were one of the first uh, outlets to do was, it. Was one of the early prototypes that had a diesel before. So the other thing he would do is, of course, he would kind of hint and give you Easter eggs as to what's coming. So mm -hmm. before the Gladiator, there was, you know, his prototype which had a diesel engine, and which eventually... The, and that was the four-cylinder uh, Italian... Uh, Via, whatever that company is. Yeah, there. which later on built the V6 exactly. diesel. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. There. So he would give us these, like, clues. So, Mark, I'm going to really miss you. Uh, and uh, if you're listening to this, uh, I'll, probably give, I'll probably text you, but I'd love to have you on this podcast uh, to talk about your 30 years of Jeep. Uh, so uh, give me a text, uh, and if you want to... I know uh, sometimes you come to Colorado, so if you're here, we'd love to have you in the studio. Sure, yes. Nathan would love to talk to you. Or we will have a motorcycle for you to drive. <laughs> I'll have a motorcycle. He loves motorcycles. Promise. Yeah, a cool one. Yes, a cool one. Well, we have cool ones. Yeah, we have cool motorcycles yeah, and a few uh, Jeeps, too. Yes, indeed. Although maybe by then he'll be like, I'm so done with Jeep. Where's a Ford? All right. All right. So, so let's get to this. So okay. uh, I, I misspoke, but we'll, we'll just go back and forth. We'll yeah, take yeah, turns. Yeah. So, so I think a car you can get, which is actually surprisingly good off-road, not as good as a Wrangler, not as good as a Bronco, but the Bronco Sport is actually really good off-road. It's one of the best vehicles in its class yes, for off-roading yes. if you get the right one. Yes. And um, that may be above 30000 because you're going to want yes. the, you're gonna want the one with the lift on it. You're going to want the one with the beefier engine. The Badlands, yeah. yeah. There's two engines that are available, and I think you want the more powerful one. But it's still a pretty affordable. For uh, what's basically a car that has been lifted to go off-road, the only thing that competes with it is the Jeep Cherokee, which is being discontinued, and the Jeep Compass Trailhawk, which... Uh, Pretty much stands nose to nose, but both of those are getting close to forty grand, dude. How about the Renegade? Is that kind of in its? It, the Renegade's okay, but it's it's. I, I think the other ones are more competent and better on the road. Yeah, so there is a possibility, and you can get those for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, they're gettable. I like I like you know for me, you're right. The the, the bigger four cylinder is probably the way to go, but the three cylinder for off roading is just as good. On it road, is, but you can't get the whole package with that. Yeah, you can't. I don't think you get the full goat. Uh, G-O-A-T setup. You can get the Heritage Edition. You in get the, the Heritage. In the, which, is, which is the taller version, bigger tires in the three-cylinder, but that's going to get even more expensive because it's yeah. the Heritage Edition. Anyway, uh, that, that, that is one of my suggestions where if you want something that is you know, off-roady and will do a ton, uh, go to that. Uh, and uh, speaking of off-roady stuff, I can't, uh, in good faith, uh, talk about like the Subaru Wilderness because they just launched the Outback and they had the Outback. No, no, the... Uh, yeah, the Outback. No, not the Outback. They did the Outback, and then they did the... Um, oh, you're talking about the, the little, the smaller one. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the Wii Outback. The Wii Outback. Yeah. And they didn't invite us. So. It's the shrimp on the Barbie. So we can't talk about it because they don't lend them to us and they don't invite us to, on this program. So sorry if you're expecting Subaru love here. We just can't talk about something. Although if you do driven. buy a new Subaru, uh, for those of you who are listening or watching, uh, let us know. Crosstrack, uh, the Crosstrack. Crosstrack, that's it. Yeah. Let us know because we are interested in seeing how it performs. And if you guys want to bring it out here and, and show us, that would be great. Yeah, we, we'd love to take it up Cliffhanger 1.0. We not, just don't have the budget to buy every Subaru that comes no. out and drive it. We've only done that twice or three times we've done that we twi- did twice we well if you previous got, outback previous cross track right but we also bought a, an old subaru as well and that was kind of that fun. was cool yeah that was, yeah. That was, yeah. That was really old yeah. yeah that was really old anyway um right, so that's my first suggestion mm-hmm. is the uh ford bronco sport what do you suggest uh in terms of new or used under thirty thousand. you pick okay um there are a lot of Lexus LX, the older first generation mm. ones out there, with like a hundred thousand miles on them, going for between fourteen and twenty-five k, and they are now. Bear in mind what they are. I mean, this is basically a Toyota Land Cruiser with a really nice interior, right? Yes, there's some cladding, dude. One weekend and you're good with the cladding; you can remove it. You have a full-blown off-road vehicle there, capable on one of the best platforms that has ever been produced for a large or mid to large sized SUV. So I highly recommend that. Take a look at almost any Craigslist or whatever local listing, you're gonna find one of those. Yeah, I, I would also in the same breath, I'm gonna add one to it. I think that's a good, the GX, also an old Oh GX. God, yeah, well I was gonna go there for it, but you can get the GX for even less. Yes, exactly. A so little bit less. My, my only issue with both of those uh, is the fact that they've been very lexified, right? So, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of leather, a lot of, you know, like a lot of wood and it all kind of feels very urban when you're off-roading. <laughs> I think that's okay. I think the problem is all of the stuff that you have to remove and replace in order to make it more off-roading. Yeah. So especially with the GX. Approach departure angles. It, yes, are, are and you got to remove the, those sideboards. And it's not, actually not that easy on the older ones. But the cool thing about the GX, if you want to drop down almost 10 grand, I've seen those things going for between 10 and 20, is that the GX It's been around for a long time, but it really hasn't changed a lot visually. So let's say you bought yourself one that's 10, 12 years old. It won't look that much different than the brand new ones that are coming out now. So if you buy an older one and modify it, it still looks kind of contemporary. All right. Um, Now, let me give you a a vehicle that is very good off-road and much less expensive. Oh, there's plenty. And and also there's aftermarket support for it. There's aftermarket support for the GX and LX. But once again, if you can afford a Lexus, you're going to get it. It's going to be more expensive for that stuff. So so what do you think of that? Oh, hell yeah. And that that was one of the ones that was on my list, too. Yeah, so I'm looking at, uh, on Craigslist here, 2006 Xterra, the six-cylinder, of course, 4x4, 5,500, Nathan, uh, with 150,000 miles. Is that manual or is that the auto? Uh, this is the automatic, but either first gen or second gen Xterra. The Xterra no is, is is fabulous. We've had Xterras before. I mean, Roman and I go back far enough with TFL to where we were driving brand new Xterras and reviewing them, and we actually have videos out there on them, and they were great. They were comparable to anything Toyota put out in terms of the Forerunner, and they kept up with any Jeep Wrangler of the time. However, there were a couple things to keep in mind. Very tall vehicle. It had that stadium seating, you know. It had the stadium seating set up even from the beginning. Um, Some people are not particularly keen on that 4-liter V6. I don't know why. I think it's like an absolutely stout V6, but I do know for a fact the automatic transmissions, some of them were a little finicky. However, both models had available manual transmissions. And if you look around enough, you can get lockers. You can get so many things for these vehicles, and they're truly capable, lots of torque, and a very reliable V6. Yeah, and of course, you basically, you're looking at a Frontier with, you know, it's, it's a truck underneath. With a shorter uh, platform, yeah. uh, wheelbase. Yeah, yeah, and so... Um, there's aftermarket support. Tons. Yeah, you can get you know rock rails. You can get bumpers for them, uh, and I think you can get probably the nicest one in the world, Pro 4X. We remember it had those like lights on top. Oh yeah, the Pro 4X was fantastic. For probably well under fifteen thousand. Oh, easily. And not only that, but um, and there's lots of communities out there that are really beginning to appreciate them. So the time is now. If you wait too long, I think that they're going to become even more expensive, because people are going to realize, wait a minute, this is really good, and. It's one of those things that I wish TFL would buy. I mean, we'll get to a point maybe we'll we'll get one. But the thing about them is we don't have to sell this vehicle to you guys. 
Go look it up yourselves. You're going to see that at the time, it competed directly with the FJ. Exactly. And the FJ's not on my list. You know why? Why? Too expensive. Yeah, the FJ's. Have, I mean, you can get FJ's, but they're going to be like 15,000 starting. Yeah, and then, yeah, and the, with 250,000 miles on them. Yeah, and then the cheap ones are going to be like really ratty, run, ratty and, and used up. And the thing with both the FJ and the Xterra is just when overlanding started to get hot, both, uh, I think it was like 2014, if I remember right, both Toyota and Nissan dropped their two. It's like they called each other and it's like, hey, should we drop these really cool 4x4s? People are really yeah. getting into overlanding and off-roading, but yeah, we're done. Yeah, yeah. and uh, one thing I will recommend on e on either vehicle, but really on the um, on the Nissan, is that if somebody's gone through a lot of time and trouble to modify it, check those mods because there's really cheap ones out there and there's really expensive ones. If, and this is just from personal experience because I've used some modifications on my previous Pathfinder, which had a, a similar platform and components, if the components are built by Cal Mini, somebody spent some real money on it because Cal Mini is stupid expensive. If, however, the non-name brand um, upgrades, uh, be careful. All right. What's your next one, Nathan? My next one yep. is, yeah, drum roll, the Suzuki Grand Batara. Yeah, those are really good. I actually owned one of those. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you had you had a, I had a grand sidekick. Right, I had the sidekick, um, but w the sidekick was the American name. And the sidekick, there was the Chevy version of it, which is the Tracker. Yeah, and then, and then later, then later, later the came, Grand Vitara. Yeah. yeah. In and Europe, I, it was always a Grand Vitara. Yeah, I had a Grand Vitara XL7. Yep. That was um, a three-row, wasn't it? Yep, it was yeah. a three-row, although mine was a two-row because it was the base model with the manual transmission. Getting the manual with the third row is almost impossible in the States, but you can do it overseas. Now, anyway. Now, now, that goes right to your point of, like, a light, right? Because they had a four-cylinder, so it was a light. Yeah, mine was a V6. Small, uh, nimble, uh, certainly capable off-roader. The cool thing is is that Suzuki has a whole bunch of stuff, yeah, granted overseas, but a lot of aftermarket goodies that you can get. So we have this thing called the Internet, and you can find a lot of stuff if you search to really build these things up and make them off-road capable. And you don't have to go too terribly deep in order to make it happen. Here's another cool thing about that. Uh, recently, we got a chance to look at what Old Man Emu can do for Toyota products, right? Yep. Well, Old Man Emu has been building suspension components for Suzuki's for years and years and years, and other Japanese vehicles. And you can get some really good suspension upgrades for Suzuki Grand Vitara, Sidekicks, you name it. I bet you can also like uh, go to Mexico and buy a Jimny for... <laughs> yeah, I <God. laughs> and drive it on Wouldn't Mexican Wouldn't that be plates. cool? We should do that. But the problem is, is that after one year, then we get in deep doo doo. Yeah, yeah. But well, I would love to go grab a well, chimney and bring it across Would you get in deep doo doo? Nobody would probably stop you if you if you had it plated in Mexico and just drove what, around. drove around here for you. Yeah. I guarantee someone. There, would there's it a guy out. in my neighborhood who has an Amarok, and he's been driving it around <laughs> on Mexican plates now for the last three years. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. All okay. right, all right. Let's go the opposite way. Once again, I'm on Craigslist, so. Uh, here, here's the other one, going going from tiny to... OJ! Yes, exactly. I'm looking at a 1992 Ford Bronco Custom. Uh, $13,000, Nathan, which is actually not bad. $192,000. Now, some of these have become exorbitantly expensive, but you can still find white OJ. <laughs> well, is that a 302? Is that the... It's a 302, okay. yeah. It's a, it's a 302 V8. With Do you know my family has connection to the OJ Bronco? No, get out. Yeah, Tell yeah, me. yeah. No, what, no, no. Uh, my, my cousin actually had to go on the stand during the trial because after they got the vehicle and they held it in evidence, they used to have these things called OPGs, which are official police garages. Yep. My cousin, because it was such a big deal, one of his buddies brought him in there to have a look at the, uh, at the Bronco. So they had to make sure that my cousin wasn't contaminating the evidence or anything else like that, and he didn't. But anyway, so there's a little tiny connection to that. Um, the thing about uh, the Ford Broncos, uh, we actually did a really good video on a guy who did a nice update on his. Ford Broncos are great with the older generation, especially because you could remove the roof, um, just like you could with the old Blazers and whatnot. Um, but they uh, had a couple issues. I believe front suspension issues for some of them. Uh, rust issues. Velour issues. <laughs> that too. Uh, Red velour could, issues. I think you could get a manual transmission with those all the way up until they stopped building them. I think so. But if you love V8s and if you love American V8s, mm -hmm. this is this is the way to go. Yeah. And you I, can certainly lift them. You can certainly, sure. you can certainly you know, make that V8 come to life mm -hmm. with either a better exhaust or, or another, I, no or exhaust. <laughs> just cut it off. Yeah. I, the, the thing about, I used to have, I had a gym 
Jimmy, uh, yeah. Jimmy, a Jimmy, um, which was a 90. was the last year that they were made, so I could pull the top off. I had a manual transmission, had a 350. And uh, to me, that was a better vehicle, but still off-road. Really big and heavy, um, big and, and heavy. I would rather go smaller, personally speaking, which is why everything else on my side of the list is cheap and small, and in many cases, I swear to God, you can get these things for like two grand. And the next one on my list, ready? Go for it. The Isuzu Trooper, baby. Yeah, and I used to have one, remember? Oh, my purple God. one? Yeah. Before I blew up yeah. uh, the radiator and everything else yeah, that was I, I cooling. Can't, I can't recommend a trooper. I can. No, I can't. Troopers are badass. They, they're all that, but they're like uh, now old. And I, I've spent a lot of time looking at old troopers. Yeah. And they, they're, they're used up, and you can't get parts for yes, them. Yes, you can. Oh, God, no. Yes, you can get parts You've got to be like Nathan, where you got to love like weird stepchildren. Well, I do love weird stepchildren. That's yeah. very true. The thing about the troopers, which is really cool, is there's several different types of troopers that were here in the United States. The two doors are really super rare, but you could get a variety of different ones that had four cylinders, six cylinder, the manual transmission, automatic transmission. The thing about the Trooper, which is really, really great, is their overall size and capability. If you can get one in good condition or if you can turn it into something that has good condition, you can get a lift kit. Um, once again, Cal Mini does it. Um, Old Man Emu has a great suspension upgrade for it. And there are some engine upgrades available too. And here's the cool part. We actually recently drove inside of a Isuzu Vehicross, which are really expensive, they're really rare. That video hopefully will be coming out pretty soon. Um, but a lot of the components from the Trooper actually wound up underneath the Vehicross, which is great. And that kind of gives you an idea of like, oh, there's some good stuff under there. Another thing is that next to the Trooper, they also had the Amigo and the Rodeo. Those are super cheap right now. Although the Amigos are kind of hard to find, that's the two-door Convertible, yeah. Convertible-ish type thing. And there were really two generations here in the States. We are really going down the uh, weird... Uh, but they're so Japanese, cheap. Japanese. But they're, they're cheap. They're Rabbit cheap. Hole. I love cheap. They're cheap. And a lot of you guys know I'm right. Not only that, but let's say you blow the engine on them. There were several built. So these things are relatively easy to find and find rebuild jobs and all that. You can still do it. So I do recommend those. I'm going to give you two German now cars. Oh, here we go. That are both incredibly um, uh, prone to breaking down. <laughs> oh, let's, let, let's please suggest those to you guys so you can easily break down. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, so these two German vehicles, one one is... Oh, you're talking about the MB, okay. ML. Yeah, yeah one ML. is the ML, which first-generation ML. Uh, that was uh, like Mercedes' first attempt at building something that was somewhat off-road worthy. Uh, and they're, That's they're, not first attempt. They did the G-Wagon. Right, first, was... first, like, crossover. The G-Wagon Yeah, it was their first thing. kind of crossover. Yeah, it's its own thing, yeah. And they're dirt cheap. You can get those things from here from two and a half to $5,000. We yeah. exploded a transfer case on one of them, yes, if you did. remember right, uh, yeah. because they're not very well built. Uh, they're, you know, but they are cheap and they are plentiful. You can find them all over Craigslist. So if you want something, you know, just as a throwaway off-roader until you blow up the transfer case, go mm -hmm. for the ML. Or the other one that is actually very capable, but this one we also own, but you have to basically find the right one uh, is the first-generation Touareg, which is incredibly off-road worthy, especially yeah. with the air suspension. If you get the right one. Yeah, so if you're looking for a Touareg, uh, look at the interior, and you know there's your shift lever, and below that are two little round knobs. Yeah. And sometimes there are two little round knobs, and one is basically um, your air suspension, and mm. the other one I think is your, I forgot what the other one is. Is that the locker? It could be the locker, yeah. But unless it has both round knobs, you mm. don't have the off-road one, because if you have both of the round knobs, the air suspension and the locker, then you've got the off-road one, and 99% of them don't have that we spent a long time but it will break and it'll be expensive to fix and very stupid things will break on it but as just an incredibly good off-roader uh it's pretty much unstoppable it is air I, suspension I, i'm not going to argue with that yeah. i just but they're so expensive to maintain they are yeah they're cheap I mean, to buy just, like five to six thousand dollars sure but it costs twice as much to maintain yeah them. yeah it's I, just throwaway yeah almost well almost and I, but i've seen guys and when i was just at the uh overland Expo, um, yeah. Expo, and there were a couple guys who had some beautifully modified ones. And one that was really ugly too, a Porsche version. Um, First gen Porsche, those are even harder to find. Yeah, with, they with are. The uh, this guy had neon on his, which is a little much, but it was, was interesting. It orange? 
No, 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 no. Because that was a Trans Siberian. No, no, no. Porsche built the Trans Siberian. He had taste. He actually used bright green Mm. on all the, uh, it was black and bright green like uh, highlights all over it. But the point is, is that these vehicles are remarkably expensive to keep up. However, if you keep them upright, they're almost unstoppable if you get the right version. I mean, really, really impressive off-road systems. I think in Europe you could actually get a front locker on the Touareg. I don't think they're I important. I think you might be right. Yeah. Yeah, I think are, are, so. All right, shall we go out of the uh, weeds into something a bit more mainstream? Oh, I want one more in the weeds. All right, go for come it. On, come on, come on, come on. There's a unicorn out there, right, folks, let's, let's and hear you're going to love it. And here's the funny part. Okay, true story. All right. TFL guys, this is all of us. We were going to that Indian restaurant we used to go to. You weren't with us, though. It was like Andre, myself, Alex, and a few other guys, right? I can't do Indian, dude. It just tears me up. Oh, wah. Okay. Okay, well, that's all right. You don't want to be with me. if you, you, Dude, uh, everything tears me up now. Okay. You know that. Yeah. Anyway, so we're driving down, and all of a sudden next to us is this small, wait for it, Kia Sportage yes. convertible. Get out. Total, I mean, rare as hen's teeth to find. The first generation Kia Sportage, Sportage did have this little two-door convertible version. Well, base half convertible, really. And this poor girl who was driving it, all of us are leering out there, looking at it and pointing. And we're not pointing at her. We're pointing at the vehicle. And I think we terrified her. And I was trying to like, oh, guys, we really shouldn't be doing this. Because she's looking at us with her eyes the size of saucers going, why are you guys pointing at me? But this, and it was in really good condition too, by the way. They're surprisingly good off-road. Solid rear axle and the pin and front suspension. Very short wheelbase. Decent approach and departure angles. This is stock. There was a locker that you could get for them. I don't think you can get it from the factory, but I know for a fact that ARB and other companies do build them. And a lift kit is available. Even the regular first-gen Sportage, there are guys out there who actually do lift them and take them off-road, and they're super cheap to buy. So anyway, I geeked out, and so did everybody else. Uh, this poor individual who was driving this thing along the street, but it, they're really rare here in the States. But they do sell them here and there, and I do recommend looking for them because they're super cool. All right. All right, so that was my last one in the weeds. All right, here's, here's one that's not weedy. Okay. Uh, this is when GM actually knew how to build off-roaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hummer H2 or H3. You can get those well under 30000 depending on <gasps> Didn't the, they do a V8 and a little guy, too? The, for, uh, yeah, the Alpha. The, the Alpha, yeah. But yeah. that one is really expensive, so that yeah. one might be pushing it. But the H2 or H3, the SUT, you know, the little trucky thing, those are expensive. Mm-hmm. But a standard H2 or H3 uh, is very affordable, and, God, they're really good off-road. Yeah, surprisingly although, so. Yeah, the H2, there's a couple things you have to do. And uh, Andre did them. Uh, own uh, oil well. <laughs> Seriously, you have to tow your own uh, gas station. <laughs> Especially at the 6-liter. I mean, just absolutely horrible mileage. Yes. Well, it has the aerodynamic qualities of a barn. It's just not, it doesn't cut through the air, and it's really heavy. Um, the one he had had a locker, which was great. Um, and then he replaced, um, was it the tie rods? Yes. With the thicker ones? Yeah, because they snapped a little off-road. But, uh, and if you do it right, if you do it tasteful, and if you don't do a stupid lift, they're great off-road. The only problem I have with them is the same problem I have with any Hummer. They're usually too wide. Uh, I find them to be too just too wide and bulky to go on to certain trails. That's why I like these smaller uh, off-roaders I've been talking about. But there are other ones out there, and I think, is that the Forerunner? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Older Forerunners. 2006 too. Forerunner. If you avoid... V8. Yes. Well, the V8s are kind of rare. Yeah, they now. are rare. I mean, if you... Uh, there's a lot of Forerunners. Now, granted, they're going to have a ton of mileage on them, but Forerunners... 12,260,000 miles. 260,000 miles, for, for, but for a V8. But they're, yeah. But they're anywhere. A really clean one. Uh, Previous gen, you could have still get under 30. I think it was a 4.7 liter V8. Yes. Does that sound about right? Yes, that sounds about right. Yeah, and we actually met a fan off-road when we were going through Ironclads, actually, who had one, and he was a fan from, like, Iowa who moved to Colorado, and he was like, yeah, hey, TFL, and he had one. He said he loved it. His had uh, 325,000 miles on it, original engine, original transmission. Yeah, that generation of Forerunner was basically interchangeable with the FJ, right? The FJ was a Forerunner underneath. It had a lot of Forerunner, except, except the V6 version. The FJ right. never had the uh, V8. Uh, and also, uh, yeah, the thing about the Forerunners that is that they're just so much more usable than an FJ. I mean, we've owned an yeah, FJ, and you know how... But yeah, you don't have the super clamshell doors. You yeah. can actually get like people in without opening up the front door. Yeah, and you can actually hold cargo. You can actually tow things. Yeah. The, the FJ was kind of a little wonky on that. But the cool thing about the Forerunner is that as long as it's not the first gen, 
If it's a second gen all the way up to, are we sixth now or yeah. something? Yeah, the first gen's a little too old now. Well, it's not just that. They're, they're, if you want it's a good basically one. basically a Tacoma. Yeah, well, yeah, no. it's, it, the first gen is the one with the removable the top. top. Yeah, the and there was gen. a turbo that's super rare. Yeah. They're really hard to find in good condition. But second, third gen especially, oh, yeah. You can find a lot of those. The question is, are you willing to buy a vehicle that has 200,000 miles on it? That's the big question. I say that with a lot of forerunners, as long as they were maintained well, you still may have to do some major repairs, but it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. So I was looking at Craigslist, and there was an ad for uh, a Land Rover LR2. Okay. Or Discovery 2, actually, here in Discovery 2. Mm -hmm. And it was 10000 for two of them, Nathan. <laughs> Neither of them ran. Okay, that's why. Okay, I was going to say, yeah, so, so, so one's a parts car or something? So, so yeah, we, we got to touch upon yeah. Land Rover, right? Yeah. So there's one vehicle in the Land Rover lineup that is actually worth buying, and we've owned it, and it's the LR3. I don't know about the LR4 yet. That's certainly under 30000 I say the, the original Discovery is still worth owning. Oh, I, God. I had the, one. The first one and the second one, they all have, like, critical issues that fail. So uh, they had aluminum uh, old Buick engines, basically, with aluminum tops, right? Mm. And and the second, like you would, this, here's what actually happened, I think. You had to pour distilled water into the radiator because otherwise the minerals would start to like, like, like corrode, and co mix. corrode the metal. Yeah, mm. and that would happen. And then they would overheat. And because they were, were aluminum, the top end of the engine would basically twist and contort. And because the gasket would blow. That's right, because the metals were different between exactly. the two of them or something like that. Yeah, I, I owned a first generation, a 96 so, so, of the manual. So, so they all have blown head gaskets, and they all need new engines. They also all have, they had the very first version of uh, the, the uh, terrain management system, and they had get the, the three That's amigos. That's the second gen. That's the second gen. Right, the, the three amigos where you lose your ABS, you lose your terrain management, the three little lights come on. That happened to us. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, we, we, we. So, but, but for a brief moment in time, the LR3, I want to say 2016 to like 2018 or something, that generation of, of Land Rover was actually super reliable uh, and very off-road worthy. So I don't know about the LR4. I don't know what issues they're having. They, those had V8s, and then they went to twin-turbo V6s, right? Mm -hmm. Remember that? Yeah. It, it, they worked fine. It I was mean, that weird V6 where they had an eight-cylinder, and then they would block off the last two. Yeah, the Jaguar kinda, they, they kind of cut it, and yeah, that, that whole thing. Uh, now, just to speak. The last two cylinders were basically, they had like, they, they didn't have cylinders in them. They had balancing shafts. Yeah, it was, it was some weird thing in order to make it run right as a six-cylinder because they just... Because of an, you had eight-cylinder eight holes, but only three that actually... It, yeah, there's fired. a whole there's some other tech to it. But in terms of the original uh, Discovery, first one, well, all right... You get those, like, for nothing, but you, well, you they can, won't run. No, 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 they, they, some of them will well, run. Just, some of them just, have been... You just have a soft spot in your heart. Well, because I owned one and had 125... You're like Tommy. Tommy's the same one. I, I, mine had 125,000. You rode in it, and it had 125,000 miles. And what happened to it? Okay, it, it had It overheated. No, it didn't overheat. It did a, it did a little. <laughs> it, um, but the electronics were the issue. I had, oh, I, I had electronic gremlins because it, it healed itself sometimes. It was weird. Anyway, um, but I want to go into... They're way cool. They're way, way but cool. Run, if, run, run, run away. You, no, if you know what you're doing, you'll be all right. Okay, so, but here's one right. that, I, that oh, you okay. have to run away from. Before, before we get there, I would also stay away from any Range Rover. Yes, that's where I was going. Especially the classic. Free, oh, don't go to the Freelander or Freeloader or whatever it's called. Any any Range Rover, I would just, you know, they, they look like they're very off-road worthy, but they were designed as urban cars, not as uh, out overland. No, they, they can go off-road. They can when they're new, but a lot of things break on them. Like, I guarantee you the air suspension will break. Yeah, air 100%. suspension. Um, there's, there's so many little things. And, Look, all you guys have to do is go onto the boards for any of these things if you're forget, interested forget in them. Forget the Evoque. Forget any Range Rover. Uh, they look classic, really good. Uh, forget any of Yeah, Jesus Christ. Just stay away. They're, they're, they're Vol Velar, I, I wouldn't touch that with a There's a very good pole. reason why they're so cheap. Yeah, for off-roading. And yeah. Velars are probably now gettable because they've probably been around long enough now where they're starting to get below that $30,000 mark. Maybe, but I, I would not recommend them. At least with the... Some of the um, Land Cruisers, they're, they're, some of them were okay. So now you're talking Toyota Land Cruiser? Yeah, or sorry, Land, yeah, but I mean the Land Rover. We but you talk uh, about the Land Cruiser. Well, the Land Cruiser I kind of mentioned in terms of that Lexus because that's the Land Cruiser. The problem with Land Cruisers is they're all through the roof. They're through the roof unless you get one that has 350,000 miles on And it. the straight sixes are just like dogs. Right? The, they the, are dogs, the but they run forever. Are, they, they run, run forever, forever, but going up I-70, you'll be putting along at barely second, the speed limit. Yeah. Second gear, and yeah. you're going to be at 45. You're going to be behind a very large so, truck. So the 100 series, 
slow as you know Balances. 200 series crazy expensive mm -hmm. but but worth it worth it because you're you're buying a very solid vehicle that was built in japan and has actually built like a drum they're and built that, in a special factory mm -hmm. yeah so and we had a 200 remember we turned it into a uh, trd pro it. that was one of our my favorite little builds that we did because it was just we decided to stick with Afim, and we went all the way through with it, and I thought it looked really good. The only problem with that poor thing is just that it really needed, like, a locker, a rear locker or something yeah, like Yeah, that. the 200 series, um, <coughs> they went away from the rear locker, uh, mm -hmm. and they made it much more roadworthy and luxurious. Yeah. At least here in America. I think probably, like, in Saudi Arabia and Europe, maybe you had the one. Oh, there's, there were other versions right. of it out there that are available. And, and, you know, who knows? There's rumors out there. We've actually done a video in the past talking about uh, Land Cruiser you think uh, rumors. It's a possibility. They should. I agree 100%. So stay tuned for, or not stay tuned, go ahead and look at those. You'll find them on alltfl.com. Yep, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Right, so, so what was your next one? Uh, well, okay. So there's a couple things you got to, before you yell at me, you're going to yell at me. Okay, oh another one. You're going to yell at me. Right. It's No, it's American. All right. I you're don't not, care if it's an American. Yes, you do. Okay. So, but the thing is, this has potential for being sort of a mid-level off-road vehicle it's the AMC Eagle. <laughs> <laughs> they were so weird and cool. You know, a lot of people think that they oh, were like, God, yeah, I know. They were super cool. Tommy would agree with me. Oh, Where's God. Tommy when I need them? They were, they were just a really weird car, and nowadays they're really hard to find. But I've actually seen some of these things bouncing around dunes and going over in, through Gorman and whatnot. And... They're not that easy to modify, but you can modify them. And I've seen some people do some really cool builds with them. And right now, I've seen them on Craigslist and um, on, on Facebook for go going for nothing. So the, the, the first like affordable crossover station wagon-y thing that, well, that, that was just horrible build construction. It was from the bad old days of AMC. Oh my God! What a what a but it's such what, an ingenious what, idea. What a flaming turd that thing was. It's, it was it an is. awesome flaming turd. Oh my God! No, but, but run it, far, run fast. Okay. No. All right, all right, here, let me give you a real one. Okay. Okay, give me a real one. All right, we just bought this, and it was it was over the price. But it's not a Miata. No, God, no, not the Miata. Uh, we bought a JK that was done up by AEV. Oh, that was yeah. We have it, uh, and uh, was it, that it, over thirty? It was thirty six. Yeah, that's yeah. too much. Well, Sixty four thousand. I know it's too much. Yeah, but you could get a JK for under thirty now, mm -hmm. right? So it goes TJ, uh, JK, JL in terms of Wranglers, right? So the current one is a JL, uh, and the previous one was a JK. And if you get the newer ones where they redid the interior and they put the penistar in, which is what we got, I think we got a twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen, and we had actually one of the ones that was sent out to AEV, and I think they did like twenty thousand dollars worth of upgrades to it. Yeah, insane amounts. Yeah, so it's got it's got an old AEV plate on it. So we've got an AEV, and AEV. Let's face it, AEV is now doing. Uh, manufacturer level uh, aftermarket parts. They have for a little while. Yeah, so like the new Colorado has AEV parts on it. Um, and so, and, and they've been doing these incredible <laughs> off-road builds, including like the Prospector. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and so to, to, ha to find a Jeep that has all that, sort of kind of from the factory is incredible. And it, it'll keep up with any new Jeep and it'll have a winch. It'll have, you know, ours has everything, right? So it has. It has more than everything. Yeah, and it, it weighs it, you know, as lift, much as. You know, AEV wheels. Yeah, but uh, I agree with you, and I think it's fantastic off-road. Yeah. It's terrible on the streets. It is terrible. But, terrible the, but that's the thing about off-roaders, right? The more off-roady you're going to make it, the less on-roady. The two, the two don't actually work together. They do if you get an AMC. <laughs> get that eagle. As get long it. as you live on top of a very tall mountain or hill, <laughs> and, you, and you have a way of dragging it up the mountain, you can always <laughs> just drive it down just the drive mountain. Drive it down the mountain, no <laughs> yeah, problem. Exactly, yeah. No, I, I agree with the AAV, and, and they're not paying us to say this. I, I've, I felt that their hardware has been some of the best I've seen. Their builds have been incredible. And they build, what's cool about their components is that they look like they come out of a factory for the vehicle that you're putting them on, as opposed to some yeah, sort of add-on They're functional. They're not, they're not like... They're not like, you know, with a crazy offset where you're taking the thing to the mall and you're showing off that, you you know, your tire sticks six inches out. Yes, which I can't and, stand. And, and that big star that some, some of those wheels have, right? Uh, the big red star. Yeah, like it's very, very either Texas or... No, or, Colorado does it too, yeah, my friend. Yeah. And I, I can't stand it. But regardless of that, I do They're agree with you. purposeful off-roaders. But normally speaking, I do caution from... You know, and this is why I mentioned Cal Mini before with some of the vehicles I was talking about. Brand name components like AEV, ARB, that are on these off-road vehicles, yeah, that's a good sign. But if they're not brand name, if you don't recognize them, they could be really cheap and crappy. So keep that in mind. 
All right. Any others you got? Um, I think I could close out with one All that right. uh, perhaps. Mm, okay. So we had it, and it's really rare, but they're super cheap. Okay. Another one that in the scrap pile of history. Go for yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. A Daihatsu Rocky. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, you <laughs> loved it. You're just, you're just going down the wrong <laughs> oh, Daihatsu Rocky. Well, because they're cheap. I mean, uh, if you and, find and, them. And unfixable because the parts are all The parts are really hard to find. You have yeah. to go to Australia in order to get them. But then again, that's what the internet's for. <laughs> yeah, sure. But they're actually pretty decent off-road. And um, as long as you had decent tires on them, we had one that had crap tires on it. And the poor thing just struggled. And also, I think it, we, it broke down on the trail, didn't it? It, um, it, it, did, it, it had it, this it, weird thing where, like, the passenger seat didn't go as far back as the driver's seat. Okay. So let me let me give you a real one. I was I, I was kind of right. kidding because I wanted to get a reaction out of you. All right, all right. Let's give me a real one. The, yeah, the uh, the second and third generation, well, actually, first, second, and third generation Nissan Pathfinder. I have personal experience with. They are cheap. They are all those three very capable off road, especially the first and second gens. Um, solid rear axle on the older ones, independent front suspension, but they were very light and they had decent power. If you go to the third generation, like the one I had, it it's, gets really heavy and you have an independent rear suspension and whatnot. And they're not quite as off-road capable, but they're just beefy because it's got a big V6, a four liter. All of those vehicles are, uh, you can get with manual transmissions, which is great if you want a great first gear for crawling. They were unsung heroes because of you know, what we were just talking about earlier, the Xterra, that was kind of the one that everybody was looking at, but what predated it really was, you know, the Pathfinder. And they really were pretty good, and a lot of people tend to forget about them, and they're super cheap. All right, how about a Grand Cherokee? Uh, depends on which one. Yeah, it depends on which one. You, <laughs> you could certainly get a Grand Cherokee uh, for, <clears throat> you know, anywhere from ten to 50000 depending on... Well, I, I sold one for $1,500. Okay, you sold yours? Yeah, yeah, All right, yeah. all right, let's talk about that. Okay. And by the way, at the end of this podcast, we're going to have a very special interview from my friend at Onyx. So if you guys are interested in uh, actually off-roading and, like, being able to use... We'll, we'll get to the interview, so we'll talk about that in a second. So, so you finally sold uh, the Grand Cherokee. Tell me about that. I did not expect to, say, to keep the Grand Cherokee for more than a few months. Yep. I bought it off Tommy. Um, we used that back with our No Payment Needed uh, series, which is a very popular series, by the way. Yep. And because Tommy fixed the uh, transmission and it was running really good, I thought, okay, I can use this as a commuter until I buy my new car, which I did. But I still had the Jeep. And then my daughter moves up to Boulder, Colorado, and her little Nissan Leaf doesn't work very well in the snow. And it's like, okay, we're going to have to give her something that has four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive so she could be safe, because it's just really, she was having a rough time. So I gave her the Jeep temporarily, and she was driving it around. Well, one day I get the phone call. Dad, it's, um, engine light came on, window won't go down, and it's smoking. <laughs> Oops. 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 That's not good. And it was driving so good up until then. And I know my daughter is It had like, what, 200,000 miles 232,000 miles on it, yeah, on it when, when I sold it. Yeah. So uh, I went under the hood. I pulled the wiring harness, which was smoking. It basically was just arcing, and it was on because it was touching the um, exhaust manifold. Uh, it, it just I don't know how it moved over there. Who knows what my daughter did? But uh, so it, it got roasted. So I soldered the wires back together, got that going again, got rid of the engine light by taking the negative off, putting it back on. Everything was good. And then uh, went over and tried to fix the window, which was not fixable because the whole regulator just somehow ate itself. So I kind of shoved it back up and put a wrench in there. I was initially thinking about selling it for like twenty five hundred bucks, even three grand, because it had the great tires and it was running good, new transmission, new brakes. But because of the window and because I was going to be honest with the person buying and saying, "Listen, man, you know this, these wires need to be looked at," I put it in for fifteen hundred bucks. I sold it in minutes. Yeah, um, especially here in Colorado, those vehicles are just yeah, uh, and it has a super good four wheel drive high, four wheel yep. drive low didn't work. But the family, yep. a nice family, came along, told them what was going on with it. They bought it, took it. Everything is kosher. I used the money to buy my daughter something else. My daughter wanted to be part of the buying experience this time, so she's going to finance. You okay. Wanna, you want to let them know what, what, what your daughter bought? Yeah. <laughs> so my daughter bought... A Daihatsu? A, no. <laughs> Strangely, I wanted her to get a charade, too. Now, we needed to get something with a decent all-wheel drive system. I wanted her to have something that had some guts, yeah. but I wanted it to be kind of well, simple. Keep in mind, she's in college, so second year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah second year college. And so she's living with a bunch of her friends, and she's, she loves to drive, and she skis, she uh, snowboards. Sorry. So she needs something four-wheel drive. Right, right, with, with good tires and all that. Well, 
one owner, 2011 Ford Escape, hmm. which essentially is a Mazda tribute underneath. And it has that three liter V6, which I adore. It's a strong little engine. Gets decent mileage, really good all-wheel drive system. You don't touch anything except there's a snow button. That's it. So I'm hoping that there's nothing for her to destroy. It had a lot of miles on it, but it also has a little warranty. And, um, How it many miles? 100,000. Oh, that's not too bad. For 2011, it's yeah. not bad at all. No, that's not bad. Um, and I'm pretty sure I just need it to last three years. <laughs> just last three years, and then if it lasts, I'll give it to my son. I'll buy it off my daughter, whatever. So... That's what we did. That's what I did. I, it wasn't my first choice. Actually, I was looking at a RAV4, uh, but the ones that were in our price range, uh, 225,000 miles. Toyota tax. Yeah, this is the Toyota tax. Yeah. And, you know, and I won't buy a Nissan um, Rogue a, as cheap as they were because they all had the CVTs, the ones that were real problematic from Jatco, didn't want those. I know for a fact that the Mazda 3 liter, this transmission, this all-wheel drive system, all of them are pretty robust. And I've had really good luck with Mazdas. I mean, how many have I owned since you know me? I know. There people underestimate them. I wish they built a real off-roader, which they don't. But yeah. They yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, some people would argue the Navajo, but that's a Ford Explorer. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's also digging deep. Yeah. That's, that's, that's certainly the, a deep cut. <laughs> Yeah, it is. And I'm sure that if Zach were listening, he's our guy. He's a Mazda freak. He'd just come in and dance and, and do a happy dance because they're really rare. All right. Well, let, let, let's cut now to my interview um, with our friends at Onyx Off-Road. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some really cool stuff. So I hope you guys stay tuned for it. Uh, and uh, out of all those, uh, which would you buy? Pick one. Out of the ones that I mentioned or the ones that we mentioned? We mentioned. Uh, the Grenadier. Uh, G-Wagon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can never afford a Grenadier, but I mean, I, I really I think they're super, yeah, they're, they're really cool. I, I totally would, would love to drive one and own one. Look, I mean, you, you could get a G-Wagon for $30,000. You'll, yeah. you'll be underwater immediately, but you, can get, one, you can get like a 2004. I would never or, be able to maintain that thing. Then again, I'd never be able to, to maintain an Ineos either. So yeah, I'm pretty happy where I am right now with stuff, but uh, I am looking at getting myself a little bit of a uh, project car in the future that will be off-roady, but I'm not telling anything else about it okay. because it won't happen until probably October at this point. All right, well, let's cut to uh, our second studio location, and I'll see you guys over there. Cheers. Well, Nathan and Roman, thank you. Uh, this is Andre here. <laughs> We're back in the studio, and we have a very special guest. Uh, I have Joe Risi from Onyx Off-Road. How's it going, everybody? Thanks, dude. Uh, so, uh, like Roman and Nathan were saying, we really wanted to spill the beans on TFL off-road trails and areas that we use. Let's do it. Uh, because we're in Colorado, we're pretty fortunate. Uh, we're just on the foothills of the Rocky Mountains in Boulder. And we use a lot of the trails nearby because a lot of them are open year-round. And, of course, we use others that are not open year-round. But we always use Onyx off-road. So I've used it for several years. Then we partnered together, right? So at first, I want before we actually tell you how you can access all of our favorite trails, let's kind of take it from the high level and just kind of explain Onyx off-road. Let's do it. So jumping in, onyxmaps.com. We're in the web uh, portal right now. Obviously, most people are maybe tuning in from a phone. Yeah. Um, you have that too. So... We're just going to do a round the robin. What you're seeing, I'm logging in first time. I just, I got my account or I got my free trial, yes. um, making sure you're using TFL as a code. Yes. Um, so if I'm looking on the left-hand side, I've got my Discover tab. So we happen to be in Boulder. I'm seeing my trails near me. I've seen Switzerland Trail, one of TFL's trails, so Pennsylvania Gulch, uh, Gordon Gulch. Um, so these are trails that are near me in this area. If I cruise to Southern California, I'm going to see trails near me in that zone. What um, if you're on the East Coast? Same thing. Anything, anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere, if we're zooming out here, we're seeing these blue trails. Yeah. Um, those blue trails are those featured trails. And what those are, are they've got a little bit more information from a trail guide that submitted information about them. Um, and you're going to see those kind of pop up. These are my waypoints and my, my map and my, my little secrets. Um, but what you're seeing there from these little ones are you're getting trail difficulty. You're getting... Uh, the duration, you're getting um, a little bit of information about what a trail guide has saw on that trail, the high point, the distance, um, 1 through 10 difficulty rating. Yeah. Um, and then their description of like what they saw on that trail. And pictures. Often. And pictures, yeah, 100%. So we can do the same thing for, because we use a lot of featured trails also. And we have a couple, even like our Tumbleweed Ranch, the, the Onyx 
official trail at our Tumbleweed Ranch was also mapped. 100%. So, so not only, you know, there's public and feature trails, there's some, you know, routes and roads that you can kind of, that lead to those trails that you can see on this, on this tool. Because that's a question we commonly get. We get emails or, you know, on social media, people say, oh, I live in New York State and I want to travel to Colorado. Where should I go? Well, this is where you go. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. Onyx has the beautiful thing of showing where you can and can't go, uh, public and private land. Your ranch happens to be on private land. Yes. So it does show that. Um, it also shows where you can camp and where you cannot camp. Um, so depending on where you're recreating, where you're jeeping for that day, where you're off-roading, where's in, where's out. Okay. So then there is also the premium and elite levels, right? Correct. So there are a couple of extra additional features that you can get to. Yeah, so the so what you're seeing right now up on my screen is the uh, elite version. So if I zoom in a little more, I'm seeing um, in the in the green is national forests. In the um, other colors um, are private lands. So I can see that private land tax owner information. I can see how many acres they own. I can write them a letter and say, "You got a cool trail through your backyard. <laughs> I want to drive on it." Um, maybe. Yes. Well, but this is public information. Right? 100%. Yes. You know, because my house, you know, in Thornton, Colorado is public information as well. So anyways, so that's cool. So you can see those things. And it really originated from hunting, isn't it? Yes. So uh, that, that kind of like, where can I hunt? Where can I not hunt? Yeah. Um, or if I'm on my private land, I want to hunt on my private land. And yes. know, I know Bob next door says, gave me the okay to hunt there too. Okay. Yeah. So all that stuff. Uh, but, but there's more. 100%. Uh, because when we use Onyx Off-Road, a lot of the areas near Boulder, we can get reception, for example. That's one big thing. So there's offline maps. Yep. So offline maps here. Um, so pretty much what you're seeing here, the desktop version, is very similar to what you see on the phone. So I've got my low res, um, which covers a larger area. Um, on the web map, I can expand and make this smaller. On the high res, it gives me more detail. I can see uh, deeper into the map. I can see those trees. I can get really granular. Um, and you can see as I zoom in, the space changes and how much it takes up on my phone. Estimated 0.2 gigabytes, really nothing. Yeah. Um, then I kind of zoom out. I can really get a bigger picture. Um, you know, I can get half the state here. And so what I like to do here, you start to see my maps. I start to put my safety zones. So my safety zones and my maps are really, you know, I'll get the whole, I'll get half the state here, um, and then I'll start to make that piecemeal. I'll, okay. I'll dive in a little deeper. I want some high quality zones in, um, you know, maybe outside of here, um, and then I'll get that kind of a fine detailed layer. So even then, even though you do not have cellular reception, for example, and your vehicle doesn't have any Wi-Fi connection, for example, you can still go into those areas uh, like us, and still track yourself, right? And see it on the map. And also Apple CarPlay and Android Auto integration right there. 100%. Yeah. yeah, and the biggest thing too, when you're on your phone, making sure you can actually hit the go offline button on your phone. We're here in Boulder, Colorado. I can make sure that map downloaded. I can be sure when I go outside that zone, I go over Kansas, I can't really see Kansas. But when I see Boulder, I know I've downloaded that map. It's in or it's out. Cool. And then there's more, and this is how we're going to share and spill the beans on the TFL areas, is because you can also create folders, right? 100%. And, and routes. Yes, yes. Yeah. So um, the team at Onyx, um, we're based in the U.S. here. We've launched our own proprietary route building software. Um, you may be familiar with Google, obviously. Point to point, I type it in. But it doesn't allow you to go off our trails. you got to force it or it won't even pick it up. So yeah, you, you have to like know either the waypoint that Google knows or a town that Google knows. Yep. Otherwise, there's nowhere to get. Uh, you cannot get there. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So on the right toolbar of the screen, um, same thing on mobile. You've got your mobile route builder or your desktop route builder. So let's make a route real quick. Um, I've got my snap to or my point draw. We're going to do snap to because that's kind of what we're doing here. Uh, we're in Roman's backyard, Switzerland Trail. I'm going to create a quick route, and you can kind of see it just snaps to that trail really quick and easy. And I'm doing part of the TFL test track right here on the Switzerland Trail. Yeah. Um, it's giving me my distance, my elevation gain, my elevation loss, um, and then I can save that as the Switzerland Trail. And boom, I've got that, and I can add to my folder. 
Okay. And then you can also share that link, right? 100%. So you can link to that folder. And that's how we're going to be uh, using this tool as well. So we're going to publish the link and actually try to, you know, start, you know, small. Obviously, we can share at least like one route and then add to that. And then uh, we can share several of them. Yep. I mean, really spilling the beans on like what those obstacles are. Give me a little detailed information. Yes, if you're coming from New York, like myself, a New Yorker, um, I know where the heck to go um, and what obstacle my vehicle can either not go on or go on or get that photo. Yeah, because that's really important too. Uh, I get you know emails almost weekly. Um, I'm coming from X area to Colorado and I have, I don't know, a Toyota RAV4. How do I know where I can go? I mean, that's a common question too. And that's why the rating, the trail rating comes in, right? Because one to 10. Yep. You don't want to go take your RAV4 on eight out of 10. 100%. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> but you can also tell the system like what vehicle you have, right? And what type of areas you want to go on. Yep. So in, uh, on the left-hand side, back again, um, I can put in my, uh, my garage. So I have a 2016 Tundra. I don't want it too scratched. Um, I can select the vehicle type. I can select the surface types that I want to go on. And then it'll segment trails for your vehicle. So, um, Andre, you got that big diesel truck out there. Yeah. We're not going too far. Right. But what if I'm in a little side-by-side, -side, especially the narrow ones, right? You can select that too. 100%. Right? Yeah. So we select those trails, 50-inch, uh, UTV only, high clearance, all in, all in. But we don't want to go on dirt bike trails. So those are out. Right. Single tracks, right? Exactly. For example, or yep. something like that. Um, yeah, that, that's very cool. So uh, you, you can see it like, so if you're listening to us, great. You can go to alttfl.com. You can find everything TFL there. Uh, also in the video, we'll publish a little QR code as well. And also you can link through it um, through the comment section yep. in the description. So we'll be able to share that. And then also, because, you know, TFL Offroad is an entire channel, right? Uh, every time we do a new uh, video, we can also share that as well. That's, that's the beans, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so because you've asked for it, uh, you you, uh, you guys contact us and you want to know uh, where the, you know, the areas we use and also discovering new places, right? That's really important. Yep. And one of the bigger things too here is like if you're at home, you're building a truck, you don't know where, what to put on it. We do have an elite benefit here. So I did mention some of those you know, those tiers, um, you yeah. do get some discounts to build out some of your trucks too. Okay. So, you know, we do have deals on method wheels. We got rugged radios, like you name it. Those are kind of, you know, between 15 and 20%. I mean, you're saving thousands of dollars just by having a single account through yeah. us, uh, which is pretty darn cool. Uh, all your partners, basically. 100%. The, yep. Yeah. Other companies you work with. Um, yeah. I, I'm actually interested in that. Uh, Roof Nest Tent is one of your partners? Yep. 100%. Uh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So that's really cool. So uh, once again, TFL is a code. Yep. Uh, TFL will save you 20% on your subscription, either premium or elite. Yep. So that's, that's really sweet. What other features, I mean, do you have? You have, I mean, you have connections to weather. So you we can got really be detailed in how you plan it out. Yeah. And so for, you know, for me, I'm a, I'm a big waypoint guy. Um, but recently, you know, we've, we have recently added um, the route builder, which is cool too. But for waypoints, which I traditionally use, you know, I like to tell myself where I'm airing up, where I'm airing down. Is there a gate down? Is there not a gate down? And then I'm saving those out and sharing it with friends. Mm -hmm. um, and then lastly, with that too, I'm adding photos. I'm getting um screenshots from the web, I'm pulling them in, I'm having those in my folder um, to ready to go. So when I know I'm running the zone, I'm equipped with every piece of information I could possibly have. Um, a lot of these trails too, if you kind of clicking around, starting to discover, you're seeing green and you're seeing blue trails. Those mm -hmm. blue trails are feature trails. The green trails are uh, MVUM trails that are open. Um, here in Colorado, we've got a ton of snow this year. Yeah, so a um, lot of them are closed. Exactly. So you're seeing here the open dates. It's opening up in a couple of weeks, maybe. Um, well, it depends on the year also. Exactly. Yeah, it depends on a lot of things. Um, and so this one is, you know, this Beaver uh, Bog Road opens in just 15 days here. Um, and so you would know those through Onyx as well. Um, and a new feature on the on the mobile device as well is like you can start to submit trail reports. Um, so Andre, when you're running Switzerland Trail, you can let users know, hey, there's snow here, or it's good to go, or there's a washout, something happened. Exactly. Right. 
Yeah, that's really cool. I wanted to tell you two stories, Joe. So first of all, uh, we did recently our Trail Hound series, right? So we built up a Ram heavy duty truck. Um, and then me, um, Alex and David, we took it <laughs> and we compared it to my Russian van. I have a UAZ uh, Buhanka 4x4 van. And we took them on El Camino del Diablo trail down in Arizona. And the whole thing, it's the Devil's Highway, right? Yep. So it's 130 miles of off-road trail next to the U.S.-Mexico border, and there's no towns or villages completely. It's, it's really off the grid. And we used Onyx. I downloaded all the maps because there was no reception. <laughs> and at least three times we would be driving, and we didn't see any turnoffs, and we would be off the trail. So we – and Onyx really, I, I could see – Oh, I made a mistake. Yeah. I, I got to backtrack and really find my route. It, would, it saved us hours, I think, of being lost. <laughs> yeah, one of the biggest things on the mobile app, obviously, not on a computer, is that track and record function. Super valuable for that situation. Uh, the map starts to tilt it. it you kind of see where you're going. You're dropping those breadcrumbs. I know, oh, I got to turn back. I don't know where to turn. I've got yeah, it all I got to find that that exactly. turn that I just missed. Hundred percent, right? because that desert. I mean, there's nothing there. Yeah, I mean, so it's really easy to get lost. And then also, Cole and I we did with Chevy. They had a launch event um, in Nevada, and we did uh, Vegas to Reno, basically an official route <laughs> with uh, Colorado ZR2 trucks. Yep. And I was curious, uh, and I recorded part of it. That's really cool because. Uh, actually, we got stopped by snow. Uh, one of the passes we couldn't do. Uh, not even a lifted race truck could do it. So we had to backtrack. And record feature is really was really helpful. Yeah, I mean that's one of my favorite features. I mean, as you can see, my waypoints are just clustered over in Moab. Um, you know, whether I'm building routes for myself or running routes, it's just kind of one of my favorite things to kind of go back. And also dropping waypoints and, and adding photos to those waypoints are just that like the experience that kind of brings it back to life that I could show you. That epic turn, that that little bit of like what the insider information. So yeah. it's it's a cool feature for sure. And you know, added that with the route builder, I could start to begin this like planning process to create those three hundred mile routes like that. It's really cool. And then let's say you're you're and your buddies on the weekend, you're planning a trip. Sure. You can send them a link. Hundred percent. Yeah. So so I would go into my content. Um, same thing exists on mobile. Start to see some of these uh, these routes that I built um, and these folders that I built. Um, and then zones. So it's, it's really cool to just kind of keep your always adding and always cataloging and always making this almost this guidebook for yourself. That's what you're doing and for your friends. Mm -hmm. um, and what the coolest thing is with TFL, sharing this out, I mean, you're going to be able to create those same stories as well. Yeah, and uh, there you have it. So it helps us. It helps, obviously, the entire community, right? So we can all kind of discover um, and actually know where we can go safely. Because that's really a big deal. Um, we always say, always, you know, you always, always try to have more than one vehicle in your party. Yep. Right. If one vehicle gets broke down or stuck, you have somebody to help you out. But, you know, and this is why this feature and this map is so helpful. So, uh, there you have it. So we'll be sharing at least the Switzerland Trail is first. Then we have the Bun School Trail that we often use. So we'll be adding all that stuff, and you'll be able to get to it in the link. Awesome. Thanks, Andre. So there you go. So thanks for joining us uh, once again. Uh, you'll see me also on the Truck Podcast. <laughs> uh, just Roman and Nathan invited me here on their podcast. So um, that's what we're working on. And check us out at altfl.com. And check out Onyx Off-Road Maps. So that's the tool we use a lot. It's really helpful. TFL for the code. Nice. Thanks. Thanks.